بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ جنائب از دا ایتھ آف جنوری ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری الحمد للہ وی Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu And I've started the subsection in which we're now taking a glimpse into his immense love for our beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So with regards to the prophetic dining table Sayyidina Anas had said radiyallahu in Sayyih Bukhari Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam never took a meal on a table nor did he وسلم, ever eat from a small cup or dish nor was fine flour baked for him at any time qatada thereupon asked rahmatullah on what then did rasulullah take his food sallallahu alaihi wasallam hazrat anas replied radiyallahu merely on a sheet of cloth so here anas is now explaining to the ummah radiyallahu how the prophet ate He never ate from a table. Imam Ghazali said there is no harm in eating from a table. However, the sunnah is superior. Nor did he ever eat from a small cup or dish. Look how strange that is. Nor was fine flour baked for him. He never had, you know, we say chapatis. Fine flour. So all Qatada asked was, what did he use to eat his food? If he didn't take a small cup dish, He goes, a sheet of cloth, a leather cloth. We call it the Sdakhan. Indeed, our beloved Messenger وسلم, was an utter manifestation of humility. For Anas said, Rasulullah used to visit the sick, follow funeral processions, respond to the invitation of slaves, and ride upon mules. Subhanallah. This is in Ibn Majah and Behaqi. So Anas is explaining that even though he was the greatest of creation, وسلم, the, 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 the one that Allah Ta'ala honored the most, he's describing him with such qualities which even normal Muslims have a problem with. Visiting the sick. How many of us visit the sick? <laughs> Following funeral processions. Responding to the invitation of slaves, meaning the food is not going to be of a high quality. He went and he would ride upon you. Sayyidina Anas also said radiyallahu qanan nabiyyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yu'jibuhu dubba the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam loved gourd ay pumpkin upon one occasion food was presented to him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or he was invited by someone to partake of it thus I sought to seek out the pieces in the dish and present them to him as I knew of his love for it subhanallah This is in Tirmidhi in his Shama'il number 160, Ahmad in his Musnad number 12,911. So what did he say first, Anas? He goes, The Prophet loved pumpkin. Why did he mention that? Because he wanted all of the Ummah to know this is Sunnah. And then he says, once food was presented to him, or he was invited, and I was looking out for the pumpkin to present it to him. In other words, I didn't want to touch it because I knew he loved it, as I knew of his love for it. And in a similar report, 
Anas had said, Radiallah, a tailor once invited Rasulullah for the meal. Thus, I attended the invitation with Rasulullah for that meal. He presented to Rasulullah some barley bread and broth containing dried meat and goat, I pumpkin. Faraito Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yatatabba uddubaa min hawala sahfa. I thereupon saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa seek out the goat around the sides of the dish. Falam azal uhibbu uddubaa mundu yawma ith. Thereafter I also never stopped loving God. This is in Sayyid Bukhari, number 2,892, so in this absolutely flawless report, who invited the Prophet for the meal? A tailor. He went and Anas also said, I attended. And what was offered to the Prophet is barley bread. Barley bread is not easy to chew. And broth which had dried meat and pumpkin, goat. Then look what Anas said. I saw Rasulullah seek out the goat around the sides of the dish. And what then did he say? This is so important. Thereafter, I also never stopped loving God. Now, what's interesting about this? Anas, it indicates he had no liking for it. There's no point saying, I also never stopped loving God if you liked it before. So he put his personal preference to the side. And he now did something which was in line with the Prophet's example. He loved God, therefore I now also never stop loving God. And there's an example the scholars gave. There was a sheikh, and he was uh, he took they offered him a sweet. He took it. So they asked the sheikh, "Oh, is it because the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam loved sweets that you took the sweet?" And the sheikh goes, "No, I like sweets." Now, what did he mean by that? What he meant by that was, I didn't. This is my natural preference. So I would love to say that I'm following the sunnah. But if I had not a liking for sweet and I took it, then I can say 100%, yes, I took the sweet because it's sunnah. So here, Anas, this is what he was referring to. He goes, I also never stopped loving God. In another report, Anas added, radiyallah, this is recorded in Sayyid Muslim, number 5326 in the chapter on drink. When I saw this, I started to pass it to him and not eat it myself. Anas radiyallahu added, since that time I have not stopped loving God. So now there's a deeper meaning here. He gave to the Prophet because he loved it. There's a hadith in Behaki in Shu'ab al-Iman where the Prophet said, if you desire something and you give it to somebody else, your sins get forgiven. So now that's normal scenario. <laughs> Anas himself said, I now love God. He passed it to Rasulullah. So yes, he was doing it out of love, but also with understanding. So how much of his sins were being forgiven when he gave it to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
In another report, Thabit added, Rahmatullah, I heard Anas radiyallahu anhu say, No food was made for me after that, in which gold could be added, but it was added. This is in Sayyid Muslim, number 5327, in the chapter on drinks. So look how much he was now in love with pumpkin. He goes, everything had pumpkin in it. He goes, if I could put pumpkin in, he goes, pumpkin's going, going in the dish. Now look at the contrast. He had no liking for pumpkin. But as soon as the Prophet, he knew he loved it, now he was saying, right. So imagine somebody goes, what are you having to eat? Lentils with pumpkin. Or you're having to eat uh, chops with pumpkin. Or you're having to eat, uh, you know, sabzi with pumpkin. Why are you putting pumpkin in everything? I'm following the sunnah of Anas. He goes, he would always put it in because of the love, his love for the Prophet So that's Anas. Now Abu Ayyub. Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, radiyallahu in Sayyid Muslim. Mishkat volume 2, number 54, in the chapter on food. He relates. Whenever food was brought to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he used to eat from it and send the excess to me. One day he sent me a bowl of food without eating anything from it because there was garlic with it. I thereupon said, Ya Rasulullah, is it haram? Is it unlawful? The Prophet sallallahu said, no, but I do not like it on account of its bad smell. Abu Ayyub radiyallahu said, Verily, I also do not like what you do not like. SubhanAllah. So let's look at this. So first of all, look at the love that the Prophet had for the Ansar. Abu Ayyub was from the Banu Al-Najjar, his, his mother's tribe. And he said, whenever the Prophet ate, he would leave and the remainder would come to me. But on this one occasion, he didn't touch anything. So Anas, uh, Abu Ayyub thought something's happened. Garlic. So he asked, is garlic haram? Ya Rasulullah. He goes, no. But because of the smell, I don't like it. And look what Abu Ayyub said. فَإِنِّي <laughs> Verily, I also dislike what you dislike. Meaning now, I also don't like garlic. So this is important. The Prophet ﷺ praised garlic. Because there's 70 shafas or more in garlic. And they've proven it to be a superfood, right? It has tremendous benefits. He explained in another report in Kanzul Omal, he said, I would have partook of it, but I converse with those whom you don't converse. So the Prophet was explaining why he doesn't have garlic. He goes, because I talk to the angels. If I didn't talk to the angels, I would have taken garlic. So it's very important to highlight that do not use these reports to frighten a person from garlic. So you could... The only argument now is Abu Ayyub. Abu Ayyub said, I don't like what you don't like. That's love. He's doing it out of love. Then, of course, you've got the son of Umar. To mention a few reports about Abdullah ibn Umar. In Behaki ibn Khuzayma Sahih, the Rheep, Hayat al-Sahab, volume 2, page 384 of the Old English Translation, Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullahi states Hassan in Sahih al-Targheem, number 43. Zayd ibn Aslam, rahmatullahi he relates, I once noticed Abdullah ibn Umar offering salah in a state that the cloth button of his kurta was unfastened. Mm. On my inquiry, he responded, I have seen Rasulullah do this. Mm. So let's look at this. So this is an authentic hadith in Behaki. So Umar's servant, Zayd ibn Aslam, he goes, I saw the son of Umar 
offering salat and his up, his his button was was unfastened i asked because i saw the prophet doing this notice he didn't say anything else he didn't say well you know it's hot <laughs> i need a bit of ventilation because i saw the prophet doing it in salat so i'm emulating him another example in behaki in his sunan al kubra number 1049 or 5-245 ibn asakir Tanzul Umal, number 37,255, or 13-478. Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 2, page 382 of the Old English Translation. Abdullah ibn Umar took the emulation of Rasulullah to such a level that Nafi said, Rahmatullah alayhi, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahumah would go to visit the places where Rasulullah offered salah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he would also water the tree so that it does not become dry under which the Prophet had rested. <laughs> so let's look at this. So in this authentic report, what was Ibn Umar doing? He was going to the places where the Prophet offered Salat. So we've already discussed. He prayed Salat in Umm Sulaim's dwelling. So according to this report, Ibn Umar made sure to offer at least one prayer in the dwelling of Umm Sulaim. Wherever the Prophet prayed, he wanted to go there to pray. Then, wherever the Prophet rested, now think about that. how many places do you think he rested? He goes, he would water the tree. So why? Because he wanted to rest on the same tree as the Prophet In another narration it mentions, whenever Abdullah ibn Umar came to a tree between Makkah and Al-Madinah, he would rest and thereupon say, Rasulullah used to rest here. This is in Bazaar. Targhim number 35 is Hassan, Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 2, page 382 of the Old English Translation. And in another report, just to add this, in Ahmad Bazar, Targhim number 34, Shaykh al-Bani, Rahmatullah, says Hassan in Sahih, Targhim number 44, Mujahid, Rahmatullah, said, We were once with Abdullah ibn Umar on a journey, and suddenly, at a place, he squeezed himself slightly whilst walking. So he was walking, and he, he suddenly did, you know, he squeezed himself, then he continued walking. Someone inquired the reason. He responded, I saw Rasulullah do this at this very place. So I just copy. <laughs> so let's look at this. Is it authentic? Yes. In Ahmad, it's graded Hassan in Sahih or Targhim number 44. Question, why did the Prophet squeeze himself at that place? Whatever the case, Ibn Umar didn't go into it because this is the very spot he did it. And when I go onto this spot, I also squeeze myself. So now why am I mentioning all this? We mentioned Anas. He goes, I love pumpkin. Because the Prophet loved pumpkin. We mentioned Abu Ayyub. He goes, I don't like what you don't like. Garlic. You got the son of Umar. Now what do some fruitcakes say? He goes, this is just personal likes and dislikes. The Prophet was an Arab. He lived in that part of the world. This is not really from the Sunnah. They come out with bakwas like this. <laughs> and then you respond by saying, that's not what Anas said. That's not what Abu Ayyub said. And that's not what Abdullah ibn Umar said. And then they don't know what you're talking about. They goes, what are you talking about? Then he goes, right, is eating pumpkin sunnah. To have a liking for pumpkin. Where does it mention that? Anas said, I love pumpkin. Is he doing a redundant act? Mm. Then you go, right. Is garlic haram? No. Mm. So if I don't eat garlic, am I following the sunnah? Mm. He goes, uh, no, because it's halal. 
The Prophet didn't eat garlic. Abu Ayyub, is he doing something redundant? Mm. Ibn Umar, where do you start with him? Why is he watering that tree? The Prophet said, the Prophet just sat there. He's not an act of worship. And tell Ibn Umar that. He squeezed himself suddenly. What, he squeezed himself. The Prophet squeezed himself here. So what does that tell you? Every act of the Prophet is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, you got Sunnah Mu'akkidah. You got Sunnah Ghair Mu'akkidah. The stress Sunnah which he never left and the Sunnah he did occasionally. But then there's his personal likes and dislikes. That is also Sunnah. But that is your level of love to the Prophet If you don't have a love for him as strong as others, you won't be interested in this. But the Sahaba, they were teaching you that, look, you should be obsessed with the Prophet And all of these reports highlight that either the Sahaba have got it right or you have got it right. And of course, the guidance lies with the companions of the Prophet So note, we're discussing that his love for the Prophet and you realize that his love was truly immense. Let me just add this to finish. So a few other examples from Abdullah ibn Umar In another report it mentions that during the Hajj, on his way to Muzdalifah, he got off his beast of burden and those with him followed suit thinking he was going to pray Salat. Ibn Umar thereupon entered a ditch. His servant then turned to us and said, he does not intend to offer Salat. But he mentioned to us that Rasulullah at this place answered the call of nature. Thus, he loves also to answer the call of nature there. <laughs> this is in Ahmad in his Musnad, number 6116. Sahih. Al-Bidayat, number 36. Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 2, page 3, and one of the old English translations. Shaykh al-Bani, Rahmatullah, states Sahih. In Sahih, al-Tarheeb, number 46. So, it's during Hajj, he was the Amir. Muzdalifa, you go there on the 10th night and he gets off the beast of burden thing arise and offers salat. He disappears in a ditch. They tell to the servant, he goes, oh, the Prophet did that. You got no intention. The Prophet once went there for the call of nature. He just goes there, does the same. What would these fruitcakes say now? Redundant, Akbarda. Redundant. Tell Ibn Umar that. In a similar report, in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad 2-131, Nafi, his famous servant, Rahmatullah, they said, when Ibn Umar came out, I asked him what he had done in that ditch. He answered, whilst descending from Arafat, I was behind Rasulullah and he descended into that ditch and relieved himself. I felt no need to do that now, but I do not like to oppose him. So he didn't have, you know, he wasn't, he timed it, right, I need to go for the call of nature. He goes, I have no desire for the call of nature. But how can I go past a spot where Rasulullah did something and I don't emulate? Look at that, what he said. He goes, how can I go past a spot where Rasulullah did something and I don't emulate? So what is that telling you? He's telling you something. And this is why Aisha, what did she very famously say? Aisha, our beloved mother in Abu Nu'aym al-Hilya and Ahmad in Zuhud, she said, there is no greater follower of Rasulullah's footsteps than the son of Umar. There is no greater follower of the footprints of Rasulullah than Ibn Umar. Now for Aisha to say that, what does that tell you? And one last report in Abu Nu'im al-Hilya, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 3, page 443-4 of the New English Translation. Nafi rahmatullah said, Abdullah ibn Umar used to turn his animal's head 
was traveling the road to Makkah to turn the animal in different directions. Turning the animal, he would then say, I am doing this so that the footstep of my animal falls on the footstep of Rasulullah's animal. In Abu Nu'im al-Hiliya Hayat al-Sahaba volume 3, page 443 to 444, the New English translation. Now think about that. How do you know where the footprints of the Prophet's coming? Because I'm putting it in the very same spots I can remember. Now if you saw him, and this is not an exaggeration, you'd think he's mad. And the scholars say, yes, he was mad. He was mad. He was madly in love with Rasulullah. Compare that to us. Right? So when the Quran says, Kul in kuntum Allah, if you love Allah, fattabi'uni, follow me, the Prophet. What level did the Sahaba take it to? And this is nothing but like I've mentioned again and again, is their intense love for the Prophet. And notice all of the companions had these things. And that's why they were given honor, not only in this world, but most assuredly in the next. And look how tragic. Now, when I was doing the class for the kids, I mentioned the report. In Behaki, in Ishu'abbali, Marik mentions, when the Arabs take off their turbans, they will lose their dignity. That's a hadith. Mm. And if you look, Allahu Akbar, that's one sunnah of the Prophet. When they had the turbans, they led all the various fields of science. Mm. You see it in their books. Who was the father of this? Who was the father of that? They go, so-and-so, the Muslims, so-and-so. They call them Arabs, but they're Muslims. And they had turbans. They even pictured them with turbans. They took off the turbans. One sunnah. And how much degradation now did they suffer? The Prophet warned them, you take off the turban, the Arabs will lose their dignity. And then what happened? Now the only people on the face of the earth who stick to this as a whole are the the people of Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And notice, they've been given honor by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, they mock them, they joke about them, but actions speak louder than words. Deep down, they say, we haven't seen people like these people, right? Because why are you talking? And they all come out with noble traits, but it's that beautiful turban. Allah ta'ala gives honor with the sunnah. And think about that, just one sunnah, what happened? So we're not bothered about dunya, but you even are disgraced in dunya if you leave the sunnah. When the sahaba went into the Persian... Uh, you know, uh, royal court. He dropped something on the floor, some food stuff. He picked it up, he blew it, and he ate it. And then there was a gasp. The Persians thought, you know, what sort of a backward person is this? And what did he say to the Persians? He goes, Do you honestly think I would leave one sunnah of Rasulullah for your ignorant people? <laughs> Imagine he's now in the courtroom. Imagine some less modern day setting. I don't know. You go to the courtroom of the West, Washington D.C. And they're all there, all the de- Democrat, what do you call them? Republicans and Democrats and the president. And then you drop something on the floor. Be honest. Would you pick it up in front of them? Blow it. Bismillah. They'd say the same. And you would respond like this. Because the Sahaba knew how Allah Ta'ala honors people. Because do you honestly believe I will leave one sunnah for your ignorant people? And now we don't do it. Oh brother, don't do it. You know, it's embarrassing, isn't it? What's embarrassing? Following the sunnah. Astaghfirullah. So all I mentioned today, again, was Sayyidina Anas and a glimpse into his deep love for the Prophet and notice unending lessons when going through the lives of the illustrious companions of the Prophet Are there any questions you'd like to ask? 